Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before the Tony Awards, you had won a lot of awards for this role. So, like, did you kind of know you were going to win? I mean, a little bit. I, I guess I had a leg up, so to speak. But there were some pretty heavy hitters in that category. And especially Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt was the one I thought, you know what? She's been around a long time. She may take it home. Sure. And she was sitting right behind me. <gasps> anyway, uh, and I also thought because for some reason... The Best Featured Actress in a Musical Award was given that night later in the show. And it's usually one of the things they do earlier. I, You know, you, you think those things to yourself. Totally. But it was very exciting. And Rosie O'Donnell had been the host that night. And she told us prior, in uh, the day prior, she said, listen, you guys, 45 seconds. Get up there. Thank who you should. Don't go too crazy because I don't want to preempt any of the musical numbers. You know, you can't go past 11 o'clock. Right. So I made sure that I was, you know, brevity is the soul of wit, I said to myself. <laughs> and uh, so it was a pretty short speech and everything. But I, um, I I felt so strangely comfortable up there because Radio City Music Hall was where I did my first professional show in New York in 1982, 81, 82. I was one of a part of a big ensemble the big summer show, which was called Encores, which was the 50th anniversary of Radio City. And so that was my first foray into, into professional theater in New York. So I had been on that stage and I felt it felt so warm being up there. And even though Radio City is huge, the colors, the gold and, and the white and gold and stuff and the way it's it kind of envelops you, it kind of has a curve to the uh, to the audience. It feels very warm. And so when I got up there, I felt so comfortable. I've never heard a story like that of, <laughs> but of accepting an award. My, but I did get myself up there and out of there quickly. I remember because Rosie said, in and out. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> because you're a dancer and you take notes. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I do take direction well. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are talking about the musical Contact, which I know even mentioning that Contact is a musical will probably make somebody upset. But do not worry. We have the Tony Award winning star from that show here 
to discuss it with me. Ladies and gentlemen, she's been in like 15 Broadway shows. She won a Tony Award for Contact. She was nominated for four. It's Miss Karen Ziemba. Hello, Jeffrey. Jeff. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, KZ. How did you get that nickname, by the way, KZ? When I was uh, rehearsing And the World Goes Round, the songs of Kander and Ebb, a review of Kander and Ebb songs, uh, it was myself, Jim Walton, Robert Cuccioli, and Brenda Presley, and Karen Mason. So it was a cast. Karen, 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 Karen. Oh, <laughs> you're KZ now. And so Stroman, Susan Stroman and Scott Ellis, the director, started calling me KZ because it was too confusing with the two Karens. And so I've been KZ to them and many others for, I, I, I hate to admit it, but it's like 30 years ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it went by fast and it feels like yesterday. I'm so grateful that you're here. You are definitely like a hero of mine as a singer, dancer, actor. And I'm really grateful to have you on this episode because you are a staple of musical theater and yet you have the dance technique to do a show like Contact. You have the uh, a working relationship with Susan Stroman, who was the director choreographer from way back. So I'm really excited to dive into a lot of this. And Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, now I saw you in contact and I had got a picture with you afterwards, which I'll Ah. be posting. I wore a yellow sweater because of the girl in the yellow dress. Right. Like I was that kid who designed all of my outfits based on the shows I was going to. Oh my goodness. That was my graduation trip. Like I graduated high school and my mom and my grandma, we went to New York to see a couple shows before I left to go be a missionary for my church. Oh, I was an LDS missionary. And so like this was a last hurrah with me and my granny and my mom. And we had a wonderful time and we went saw contact. And it was the first time I had heard the F word in a theater. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think of that? I, I was more worried about my mom. And it's not that mom would be offended and walk out like she's not that type of person. But I wanted to make sure she wasn't like crying <laughs> like she wasn't injured <laughs> right? from, from the sound of those words. <laughs> um, but I remember really loving it. And it's also the show that I wish I could see now in my 30s. Mm. Like that was a it was a momentous show to be having this much storytelling through dance in one evening of theater. Yeah, it was uh, how it conveyed so much through very little dialogue, even though John Weidman did write spare dialogue for a couple of the pieces. There were three pieces that night, three different acts, as it were, mm-hmm. or I should say three different one acts. And the last two had dialogue. Did you move, which is the piece I did, and then contact which was the final piece which had quite a bit of dialogue for for Boyd Gaines who mm-hmm. played the lead in that piece and even though it was quite a bit of dialogue the dancing was the main story and continued yeah. continued to tell the saga so i thank john weidman for his ability and deftness of writing to 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 say so little and convey so much to set the scene to create feeling and the humanity and understanding prior to us continuing it through movement. Mm. So he, he, he's pretty amazing. Contact was the brainchild of Susan Stroman. 
who is the director and choreographer. She may be best known for the producers, but she started out as a dancer originally and then very quickly realized that she wanted to be on the other side of the creative process, choreographing and directing. And I think her big break came in And the World Goes Round, which uh, which we've already discussed. And she w- collaborated with Kander Neb and Scott Ellis in creating this review of Kander Neb's music, of which you were one of the stars. You guys won like the Drama Desk Award. It was It was this whole thing. And from then on, you've consistently worked together throughout your career. Mm-hmm. Yes. After uh, And the World Goes Round, I did Crazy for You. Which, which is I- a... Very special to my heart. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people I've worked with have told me, Karen, that was my first musical, and that's what made me want to go into musical theater. They probably already loved theater sure. as young people, but they decided, uh, I'm going to go to college for musical theater. And I guess we made it look so, so much fun, like so much fun, because that was such a fun show. And the music Amen. was divine, you know, the Gershwin brothers. They, they wrote a couple of good tunes. A anyway. couple. <laughs> <laughs> But I had done the national tour for like about 10 months. And then Mike Ockrent, the director um, of the show, was was in Chicago where we were playing the Auditorium Theater. And he says, Casey, would you like to come and replace the role of Polly on Broadway? And I said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me think about it. Anyway, One second. Well, of course. And he said, I believe you and Harry Groner will be electric. You'll be electric. Together. So Harry was going to stay in the production and I was going to join him. So we had to go back into rehearsal once I came home to Broadway. And then I played with him for a while. And then my leading man from the road, James Brennan, he replaced Harry. So then we got to be together again. And we closed the show in 1996. Wow. And it was the night of the snowstorm. I believe it was January 7th, 1996. And there was a huge snowstorm. And if you didn't get to New Jersey and into the tunnel before a certain point, they closed the gates. You couldn't get out because the snow was like five, six feet deep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was one of the, So we were at the cast party at the end afterwards, trudging through the snow to get a cab. <laughs> there were a few cabs like sputtering along in the snow. Yeah, it was some <laughs> night. It was some night. Yeah. what And what a wonderful experience to bring that much joy every night to an audience and to each other. It was an easy, that was an easy show to do as far as like, you know, wanting to walk through that stage door and just say, hey, we're going to have fun tonight. But it was very exhausting, too. For uh, sure. But do you know what? There is nothing more honest to my soul than to say who could ask for anything more. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's a special one. It really is. As cheesy as I got rhythm may be or basic as it may seem now, it is it <laughs> is tied to my heartstrings. Uh-huh. Or how about stiff upper lip? I mean... Yeah. Sober blotto. This is our motto. I know. It's silly. It's but it's great. You're right. For me, I believe that is one of the greatest strengths that Susan Stroman has brought to musical theater is reminding people that dance is an expression of emotion. And so often in her shows, it's an expression of joy. Some of the greatest joys that I've seen radiate from a stage have been her choreography. Mm-hmm. I agree. She can also build a number like none other. <laughs> yes. And build and build and build. It's like, stop, please, stop. E- even in contact, contact was the first time where the current call, I was like, wait, this is another number? Yeah. 
Yep. She always choreographs her, her uh, curtain calls. I mean, it was glorious. Even if you're, even if you're just walking out for a bow, you're, it's to a certain count of music. So everybody, so, so everybody's included and it's, and it's all done with a backdrop of music. And it just, it just buoys everything. It just Absolutely. brings it all up uh, to another level. The show moves and has a, a flow and a pace because of the movement. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Now, after Crazy for You, you you starred in Steel Pier, yes. which I promise we'll get to contact more. But we have to talk about Steel Pier because I saw this one, too. And it's one of the shows I'm most proud to have seen. Number one, because it was an original Kander Neb score. Once again, you, you and Kander Neb and Susan Stroman choreographed by Susan, gorgeously produced with huge sets, uh, amazing dancing, and wasn't based on anything, wasn't based on a prior story, film. You just don't see musicals like that. No, I mean, it was definitely inspired by former pieces of literature. You know, June Havoc wrote Marathon 33. June Havoc, Dainty June, who had an experience as a a marathon dancer. In In the 30s. After vaudeville. After she, you know, vaudeville was dying, and she, so she went into that, and um, during the depression, so she wrote a play with all the, the characters at the at the dance marathon, and they shoot horses, don't they? Of course, was a film about Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda about that. Here comes Mr. Jordan, which was about an a man who comes back to fulfill a dream that he had after he has passed, and he so he's like an angel. So mm-hmm. there were there were definitely inspirations that were put together, but the the story itself, the characters, everything was original. It wasn't based on verbatim a movie right. or anything else. So you you are right in that. The other thing that makes it legendary in my life is that Still Pier is apparently the score that I started singing coming out of anesthesia when I got my wisdom teeth out. <laughs> what was the song you were singing? I believe it was the title's number, which is surprising. I would have I would have guessed, you know, willing to ride, but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but my mom was like, I think you were singing a song called Steel Pier. I was like, huh, well, there you go. Da, 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 da. Why don't you come to the Steel Pier? Steel yeah. Pier, Steel Pier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know if you'll remember this. It may have happened a gajillion times, but when I saw Steel Pier in the first you dream scene, you and your leading man, who is an angel, it's kind of like this dance marathon meets it's a wonderful life type experience. Yes. And, and you and your angel are in this like tent Correct. and, and there was this fabric that went up and made the tent. And when I saw it, the fabric ripped <gasps> off of one side ah. and the, one of the really tall showgirls just kind of had to hold it. Oh, that's awesome. I did the entire about that. time. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was the night I was there. That was probably the showgirl that had nine costume change and wig changes because she oh was my very gosh. tall. It, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. But that show was another one. It's like, okay, it was very cinematic in that way where everybody changed characters, changed wigs. You know, this this woman now plays this woman. Now she's in the dance marathon. Now she's the beauty queen, you know, right. the suit and the thing because that was very – Susan Stroman comes from Wilmington, Delaware, and she was a young dancer. And they, and so she used to go to the to the Jersey Shore as a kid, because it was very close to where she lived in the summers. 
And the South Jersey Shore was, you know, in Atlantic City was where the Steel Pier was. And they had all these big, you know, uh, concert acts and the dance marathons, of course, were there in the 30s. She wasn't there then. But there's quite a history with the real Steel Pier. And so uh, she was very familiar with that being a kid who used to spend time on the Jersey Shore. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Now, your character in that show was you're like one last marathon, one last dance marathon to try and break into something new. Yeah. Yes. You feel you feel definitely like you're trapped uh, in both the relationship and in this this grueling grueling marathon life. Right. And in the second act you had this number called Running in Place. Yes. Which when is when all of her fire and anger finally comes out. And it's it's a vocal solo that gives way to this huge dance solo, all you, all by yourself. And I'm now realizing that that's so unusual in theater to have a number like that. Mm-hmm. The ones that I can think of are Cassie in A Chorus Line for Music in the Mirror, uh, Bobby Child in Crazy For You, nice work if you can get it, and Rita in Still Peer doing uh, Running In Place. And you've done all three of those shows. <laughs> right. Go figure. Anyway, you were in this like amazing red dress and you had a pole and you're like pole dancing at one point. (laughs) That's still I mean, that's got to be pretty cool, though. Did you? Yeah, well, it made sense to have the pole because I was on the roof. And so there probably was a flag flagpole. And then it was like um, windows, like a a solarium that, you you know, was so the sun would come down in through the windows there. So there was windows that I was dancing on and hitting. And it was something that they uh, wrote later. Um, when we were in rehearsal, they compiled because it was lending itself towards, you know, the stuff that I was able to do. Right. And instead of writing another, you know, angry, just angry song and singing, sta- standing there and singing it, it became like also this kind of angry dance, but beautiful dance. Yeah. I will so, always remember that. Yeah. I remember it originally finished with my head like down like I was defeated. And I thought, I think, no, it needs to end one last moment of like, I'm going to continue on. And mm. I think it's the same thing as like Cassie getting the job in the end of course line, as opposed to the originally she didn't get it, which really upset the audience. So I oh. think there's something about the leading lady, the main character needs to, it needs to be hopeful. Yeah. And I think we all decide, you know, figure that out that, you know, it needs to be hopeful. So at the end of that number, it was sort of like, okay, one more time. (laughs) It's a great show. I highly recommend everybody to, uh, to listen to that cast album if they haven't already. It's got a beautiful score to it. There's really some great numbers in that. I did want to make sure and make some time to ask you about Cabaret because we just recently covered the episode. It was a wonderful episode. But we talked a lot about, obviously, Candor and Ebb and Hal Prince, both of which you have had a relationship with in your career. Right. Even to the point of in Prince of Broadway, the show that you starred in, which was a retrospective of Hal Prince's career, you did the Fräulein Schneider material, right? Yes. Do you have any memories or specific anecdotes that that came from working on that material? Yeah, well... I was one of the people cast in the Broadway version of Prince of Broadway. There was they did a production of it in Japan the year before. And then when they were recasting some of the roles, I had to go in and sing for Hal in his office at Rockefeller Center, which was this kind of small. He had a large office, but his particular private section of it was just his desk, 
a lot of books, a lot of awards <laughs> on the wall <laughs> and this little spinet piano by the wall. And Stroh said, you have to come in and sing. So what? And worst pies in London for, Oh Hal my Prince. gosh. Yeah, for Hal Prince. Now uh, he knew who I was, but Hal Prince is a very loyal guy and he would always go to his Rolodex, so to speak. The sure. people he'd worked with, the people he want he trusted and he knew would rise to the occasion and do a great performance. And a couple of the ladies that he had worked with many years ago, they were not interested or not available because you really were part of an ensemble in this show, even though you got your chance to stand out in the solos. Everybody really worked together and had to dance a little bit. And anyway, it was a, a real ensemble show. But having to go into his little tiny office, I was standing as far away from him as practically as I am to this laptop and had to like, you know, spit across his desk going, look, watch a watch a how did that. <laughs> and so I did worse pies for him. And he's like leaning back, you know, with his glasses up. And then I, and first of all, I'm going, shoot, I'm like going up into Rockefeller Center offices to sing for Hal Prince. I mean, it was like, ah, I was like so daunted. It was daunting and yet it was exciting. And I didn't want to look glamorous really because the characters were more kind of not downtrodden, but they were like regular gals, yeah, you know, working class gals. And then I, I sang, so what? And I, ne I, I was familiar with it, but not that much. And I had, I hadn't seen a production of cabaret in a long time, but anyway, so I sang, so what? And he gave me some notes on that, which were great. But when we were in rehearsal, whenever we worked on a piece, you know, a, a, a song, a solo, Susan Stroman would give us our staging. We'd work on it. But then we would go into another room with Hal to talk about intent and, and the character and all that and the background of the era it came in and all that kind of stuff. And he told stories about La Delenia, who originated it. But, I mean, La Delenia was a big star in Germany, cabaret star and Kurt Weill's wife and all that in Germany. And he wanted that kind of essence. And we're, she and I are very different, but I had it inside of me to, even though she was probably five feet tall, I was able to inhabit this woman as much as I possibly could. Uh, and so he really helped me with that. He says, nah, just, nah, just telling it like it is. And because mm. I was kind of trying to make it maybe a little too kind of nuancey and stuff as opposed to just drive yeah. it home, you know, give it a little bit. But so he really helped you know, even with certain movements that he remembered her doing. And it really helped enhance the music. That's so cool. Yeah, it was great. I, and I think he he really enjoyed it. And what was cool about the Mrs. Lovett thing, I did all the same movements as Angela Lansbury in the original. He wanted the original choreography and staging for that. But what I gave to it as Karen Ziemba is, of course, a little bit different than Angela. And he really liked it. He liked some of the stuff I was doing. So that was that was fun. Now, speaking of these different characters that you've played, I think that this is one of your fortes. And if this is news to you, I apologize. But I, <laughs> I think that you are unusual and special in terms of the singer, dancer, actors, because you can play these like very diva, Roxy Hart type characters. But there is something so real about you that 
allows you to do things that I think, I don't know, like Cheetah Rivera might not get cast in. Yeah. And I'm not sure what it is. Do you, do you know what it is? <laughs> I don't know. But I think that especially in Contact, Susan Stroman knew that if she cast me in this part, I, when I walked out on the stage, people would say like, oh, that looks like the lady next door. Oh, that looks like Jimmy's school teacher. Oh, I know her. She works at the, you know, it mm -hmm. should be somebody that we relate to that we know, not somebody mm -hmm. walking in like Miss Glamour or whatever. Right. I, I guess I can make myself up to be that if I have to and put on the right clothes and the right high heels and, and eyelashes and the whole bit. And it really enhances a character, what you, how you display yourself. And yet William Ivy Long and I, we got together and we just discussed that what kind of a dress is this woman going to wear? She's, I'm we're talking about contact now. Mm -hmm. It's the fifties, 1950s. And she's going out on a date with her husband to the buffet, the Italian buffet, which she loves. And yet what kind of, what kind of dress would she wear? I mean, when she gets dressed up and we thought of, I love Lucy, mm. Lucille Ball in the kind of dresses that Lucy wore when she would go out, which would be sort of like a kind of like working class, middle class woman getting dressed up. And that's how, what he designed. It was very much like something you would see that Lucille Ball would wear. And I love Lucy. So it, you know, the minute you enter the stage, it's like, oh, that tells you who this person is and the way they act and the way they purport themselves. And if they're, whether they're nervous or they're shy or not like owning the place. Yeah. And the expectation of the evening, like you are so excited for this to be a wonderful night out. Uh -huh. Like from the, from the minute we see you, we see that you care about this, this date the, with your husband. Yes. And then of course we find out that he's kind of an a-hole. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't enjoy anything. Yeah. Can't enjoy anything. And so it's, it just, it just whittles away at my heart, at my soul, at my joy. And I try and try and try to bring him back and, and say, oh, this is wonderful. Isn't he doesn't want to have anything to do. He just wants to have his dinner. Wants he wants to, some rolls. He wants me to shut up. <laughs> right. Stop talking. Let me eat. So, yeah, I can do that kind of. I can play the, the lady next door because that's what I look like. Is that who you were surrounded by? Like, were you born and raised in the city or did you have? No, I, I was born in Michigan. Yes, Michigan. Yes, we're Michiganders, uh, suburbs of Detroit, and middle class, upper middle class upbringing, and pretty religious. And you went to church on Sunday, and I went to decent public schools and did kind of led a normal life, but wasn't anything outlandishly glamorous about my life. But I did, my mother did put me into dance lessons very, very early, because I think it's something she always wanted for herself. But that didn't work out. So she gave them to me and I loved it and I excelled at it. And I loved singing also. My grandmother was an opera singer. She sang with City Opera. Oh my goodness. Uh, my, her mom. And so it's it all kind of came together. So I always sang. I always danced. And then when I got to be in high school, it was sort of like, okay, let's let's do this stuff. So did the musicals in high school, joined the local ballet company and took you know, ballet became, and tap too, became very important to me. So I had all that training and all that confidence in that, um, leaning in that direction. So it just made sense that I would go onto the stage and, and be some kind of a dancer, singer, person.
did you model your career after some, somebody or something? Or were you just like, yes, and let's figure this out? No, not in particular. Actually, I when I got very serious into ballet because I was there like four or five times a week at the dance studio. After school, I, I was a student demonstrator for my teacher, you know, in front of like the little kids classes. And then I also was in the, the local amateur ballet company that did like the Nutcracker every year and did other ballets. And our ballet teacher took us a couple summers for a couple of weeks to New York City to take classes at ABT, to take classes at the Joffrey Ballet to see what it was like to be a small fish in a big pond. Wow, that's stayed, great. Yeah, because if you stayed where we were, there was you could be the best dancer in, De- in Detroit, but you needed to see what it was really like out there to be a professional. So we would take classes, and it was so exciting to be in New York. And also we got to see one musical every time we went. The first time I saw A Little Night Music, and the second time I th- went, I think I saw Dancing. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yes. So, yeah. So anyway, so that was my uh, gr- experience growing up. But then when I went t- to college, I ended up going into a dance department because I was really getting serious about my classical dancing. And I got to dance with the Ohio Ballet after during college, which was a, a small professional company. It was a nice small company like the Joffrey too, sort of. And mm-hmm. then we did some Paul Taylor. We did it was like sort of like a modern slash classical company. But then I realized that I, I just didn't have I just didn't have the mindset to be a ballet dancer, even though I was pretty good at it. But I would never be like my friend Tyler Peck, who's a, a big prima ballerina with New York City Ballet. She had the the, the mindset to go all the way with it and also the skills that I never had. (laughs) (laughs) But because I sang and because I had done musicals and plays and stuff growing up and was very confident in that department, it was made more sense for me to go into the live musical theater. And I also had such great tap dancing skills too. Come on. So, I mean, not like Eleanor Powell, but I, but who, who does? Who does? She's oh god! You watch her. I just go like, what? What? <laughs> she- There's that like anchors away perform uh, number where she gets tossed around, somersault, somersault, somersault by all of these guys. She's tapping her face off. She does a million Sinead turns and then stops on a dime. The camera zooms right in, and she's just like, ding, like like a toothpaste commercial. And I'm like, how are you not throwing up? I've got another one for you that you got to Google. Lady, be good. And she okay. does this thing in her real living room. They filmed it in her real living room with a dog, with a terrier that does these tricks as she's dancing and she's kicking in the de- dogs. It's fantastic. I just oh saw it the gosh. other day for the first time. Uh, but it's from, uh, from Lady Be Good, I believe. Oh, just, I will just, check that out. And it's this cute little terrier that looks a little bit like the terrier on the David Hyde Pierce. Uh, oh, on Frasier? On Frasier. A little bit like that dog. Only <laughs> cute. That looks up and goes... <laughs> it's, it's a fabulous number. I never even knew it existed. I'm I've sure Susan Stroman did. <laughs> she, she knows all those. But anyway, back to what we were saying. It made sense to go into the musical theater. Plus, I got to, you know, fall on my face, do Pratt Falls, be funny, you know, yes. tell jokes, which you didn't get to do in the concert world. No, it's so even, serious. Even though I love it, I love going to see people dance. It, it makes me thrilled because I know what goes into it and I understand mm-hmm. the vocab, the dance vocabulary, but that just wasn't my bag. I, I had other, th- I had other ways I wanted to express myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally get that. And I think that that's what I, that's what to me makes Contact a musical more than anything is that sensibility. It lacks that taking yourself really seriously that the dance world has mm-hmm. and infuses it instead with emotionality, with humor, with real life. And that's what brings it into musical theater land for me, Mm -hmm. Uh, just from like a feeling place. Now, when you guys opened Contact, there was this huge hoopla about whether or not it was a musical because you had you didn't have live music. You didn't have singing. It was just it was originally considered more of a dance play. Correct. But then all of a sudden the award season came around and it was thought of as a musical. What was all that about for you? Did you care? (laughs) We just sort of had to show up and still do our show every night. And I think the fact that it was so well-received and so moving to audiences that the powers that be, you know, got a a taste of it and said, well, yeah, it's not your normal musical, but it is a musical nonetheless because it is telling a story through music and dance. Mm -hmm. No, that we're not live musicians. And because of the way it was constructed where I would hear music that I would listen to on my phonograph at, in the 50s, the classical music that I danced to, the music that was in the third piece of Contact, which was all different stuff that you'd listen to on your hi-fi or on your iPod or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To reconstruct that live would be impossible. You couldn't I, do it. You have I, everything I, from jazz to Bernstein with the New York Philharmonic to, you know, to radio hits. Right. It, so it, the way the whole conceit of it was that something that you'd push a button and then you'd hear something and it would make you feel a certain way. Mm. That's the whole fantasy part of it. Like is when you start hearing, how does that make you want to move? How does that make you feel? How uh, juxtaposed with how awful you feel when someone has their thumb on you and makes you feel awful. And then yeah. this music starts and it's like, oh, I am the bell of a ball. Wow. I'm in a different place now. And the same thing, I think, with contact, too, in the second act. All of a sudden, you know, the girl in the yellow dress walks through the door and you're simply irresistible. I mean, just really, <laughs> it was so well structured and plotted out. She there did. were so many iconic moments for those who may not have seen it. The, the first story. So the first act has two stories. Second act one. Uh, the first story in the first act was called Swinging. And from what I understand, Susan Stroman originally had thought that the show might be just an exploration of the word swing, what that means. So in the first act, you have this, uh, what period, what time period would you say that it was, was in? It was based on a Fragonard painting. So it was the 18th right. century. One of the few musicals based on a painting like Sunday in the Park with George. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the, it comes to life. And it's all three pieces in the show are about making contact or not making contact and how how that makes a, a person feel or gets them moving forward or sends them backward or how that affects their life. And that's what these were all about. Very different stories, though. And this Fragonard painting where somebody's in a a woman is in a swing and two men, one man is on the side and the other man is pushing her in the swing and then they switch places. And it's like, what? Now, who's who? Mm -hmm. They both are. What's going on? Yeah. He's like the butler. Oh, no. 
he is the paramour. Oh, the husband. Oh, who's that? And so it's <laughs> fascinating to see what's going on. It was very sensual. Very sensual, right? And yeah. in the shortest piece of all of them, and yet kind of death-defying because there was an actual swing on stage and you had all and you had dance going on while the while the woman is in the swing and you've got these two suitors and you don't know who they are. Really, really fun stuff. The second piece was then Did You Move, which after you see the piece and then you realize that the title is Did You Move, which is something that the husband is yelling at the wife constantly after she has this fantasy of dancing. It's just like, oh, it just makes me feel so many things. I I cannot tell you how many people either wrote to me or, or, or confronted me or talked to me after the show who said, Karen, that was my life. I was that woman that you played. I was, you know, in a marriage for 25 years and I finally escaped or I finally left or I finally what, and it could, because I played this woman who was emotionally and verbally abused. And then she would go into her fantasy world and become the belle of the ball and the the happiest woman in the world. So it was like this, this, these two personalities I was playing and so many people related to it. And even male friends of mine who said they would cry every time they came to see it. They came with the ones, this one particular actor who was a friend of mine, because I think he obviously had some kind of experience in his home life where he experienced this kind of, or his mother or his, his aunt, or I don't know, whatever, somebody in his, in his life experienced that kind of abuse and it really affected him. Even the gentleman that played um, opposite me, Jason Antoon, who played my abusive husband, but he said, my father was like this character that I played. So I know how to play this guy. My father <laughs> had a rage problem. You know, it's uh, I, hopefully I'm not telling tales out of school. He was very open about it. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't mean you love the person any less. It's just that you understand that people have cracks and foibles and faults that you must live with sometimes to survive. And that's what it was about. It wasn't sugarcoating anything. It was again, telling it like it is, in, a, but in a very almost fantastical way without even speaking and what it conveyed and how it touched people and how it made people laugh. Across the board, you had every kind of an, an emotion if you watched that piece. And that's what made it so spectacular and so memorable. That's beautiful. Yeah. Can you tell me what you ate? <laughs> we ate real spaghetti. Did you really? Every yeah. every show? Uh, Pasta with uh with red sauce. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Yummy. real rolls. <laughs> real <laughs> rolls. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes your mouth doesn't make saliva to get a roll down your throat. He was able to actually eat it because he he had to because that's what he wanted the whole time. He says, "Where's my rolls?" You know. Sure. Oh, I got to go out and get them. But because he went back to, to get somebody to get his rolls, I was able to go into my fantasy and dance with the rest <laughs> of the people in the restaurant. <laughs> you had to and, be there anyway. <laughs> no, but it it's so Susan Stroman because you've got you've got a pregnant lady in the restaurant. You've got all of these different characters that all end up dancing. Getting engaged, a girl is getting engaged. Yes. Who are the other? Oh, somebody's taking photographs of each other. It's really cute. Now, because you weren't in the show until this, you know, the second piece. Did you have, did you feel like you had a nice time to warm up your body? Because yes. the once you were on, it was like sprint. And then you would have to speak after dancing 
these huge pieces, mm-hmm. uh, something that regular ballerinas don't have to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in your piece, at one point, there's a gun, like your husband has a gun. Yes. And there's this great sense of comedy where like the waiters have their like cloche things over the gun and they're mixing it up to see if they, they have can their figure out. They carry things with their trays. Yes, yes, yes. The trays. And, right, and they right, right. Three card Monty thing where they're, they're, they're shoveling the gun back and forth underneath the trays to hide it from, yes. from, from my husband. And so he keeps picking like the different tray to see if it, if that's where the gun is and it's not <laughs> yes. there. Yes. And, and it's like, it's so goofy, but like, exactly what we need in this really tense moment oh yes and then what's even crazier is that the gun isn't under any of the trays at all it's actually with you you had the gun and then you shoot your husband right in the fantasy and that's what's so upsetting is that you shoot your husband and and there's like this huge celebration everyone's like yay the wicked witch is dead and then at the end of this huge number he walks back in and you realize it's just been the fantasy sequence. Ugh. Yeah. So Ugh. my life continues on like it was. Exactly. And so my heart is broken. A lot of people live that way. And so it was it was relatable. I, I, I got a nice letter from a woman who ran a seminar at um, St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital for women of domestic violence. And he said she said, you really nailed this person. I work with these women and their stories are very similar to what this woman was going through. That was one of the biggest compliments I received was from somebody. And you were doing ballet. I know. Like, isn't that incredible? <laughs> when when Susan Stroman asked me to, she goes, I'm doing this uh, this w- workshop of, uh, of a dance piece called Contact and I want you to come see it. So I saw this piece with a girl in the yellow dress and the, the ad exact. Mm-hmm which was the second act of contact. That's all she had created at that point. And I saw it. I thought it was unbelievably amazing. It was just so good. And then she said, you know, I'm going to do another workshop and uh, we're going to add on to this piece. And this is the, this is the music that I want you to listen to uh, because your piece that I'd like you to be part of, we're going to noodle around with this idea listen to this music so i listened to the tapes and it was and at the time it was cassette tapes because it was the late 90s and it was all this ballet music leonard bernstein conducting the new york philharmonic tchaikovsky grieg and i said wait a second i said stro this is ballet music (laughs) your your piece is a swing piece to all this great pop kind of music of the of its time and she goes i know yeah you're gonna do ballet i was like okay <laughs> she knew i could yeah exactly and that's what this piece became it became the the classically danced piece and it turned out very interesting and i remember br- asking people to come see the workshop after we got it up because i wasn't sure i said this is strange you know it's mm-hmm. it's new we tell me what you think so people saw it that i trusted people who were close to me and i was like so what do you think about this he said, you have to continue with this because it is so moving and it's you're really, really good in it, Karen. You have to continue with this. It's it's gonna be something really special. Or I don't even know if they said that. It was just like, sure. no, this is worthwhile being part of. And so I did, and this is what happened. Yes. And I probably would have done it for Susan Stroman anyway, because when she asked me to jump, I say how high. But <laughs> 
she's a mentor, she's a friend, and I respect her so much. And she respects all the people she works with so much too. It's she creates an incredible work environment. But this was a a very unusual and uh, a piece made out of love. And I was so grateful and so fortunate to be a part of it. So I lucked out. That's amazing. I don't think I realized how tight you two were until I read an interview when she was mounting Oklahoma in London, like doing the whole Hugh Jackman revival thing. And she had been looking for a singer, dancer, actress for Laurie. And I can't remember who it was, who she ended up finding. I can't remember her name. But she said when at one point she saw her do something and she goes, she's the British Karen Ziemba. And I went, (laughs) yes, icon. Right. Oh, boy. But that that's amazing that you both find each other very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like a, a, a symbiotic relationship in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Now, the second act of contact, like we said, is this ad executive who was played by Boyd Gaines, who is not happy. He doesn't have anybody in his life. He feels completely alone and tries to commit suicide. Yes, everyone, this is a hilarious dance show. And... In his attempt, he somehow gets transported to this bar. Yes. Um, where he sees a girl in a yellow dress. And this is based on Stroman having gone to like a swing club and seeing this really incredible woman at at the swing club in a yellow dress. And it was like every time she would get up to dance, there would be a whole line of men who wanted to dance with her. Mm-hmm. And she had her pick and she would just like give a nod to the one that she wanted to dance with and and off she'd go and until she didn't want to dance anymore. Anyway, this really vivacious, interesting character. And that's what this piece was based around is this woman who he then sees, the ad exec sees and kind of becomes, I don't want to say obsessed, but like he's convinced that she's his person. Right. And to to add a little bit more of what you said earlier with with the ad exec, I mean, the fact of the matter was, is he comes from an award ceremony. He is just oh, one, like, I the, forgot like, about that. like the Clio, you know, which is what like an ad exec or somebody who who's created a TV commercial. He It wasn't the Clio, but something like that. Sure. So he's got all the success. He's got, you know, he can do whatever he wants. And yet he's empty inside there. He's there's something missing. There may be more than something, many things missing, but he's like, mm, I mean, as we know, there are successful people that end it all because right. for whatever reason, we don't know. So it went from being, you know, in this depressed state to like trying to buck himself up. He got a phone call from somebody he says, ah, I'm going to go out and have a beer at this club. And he said, yeah, meet me there. Or I can't remember in the script what exactly what happens or how he gets there, mm-hmm. but he goes to this club and sees not just her he doesn't see her at first he sees all these other couples dancing and they're very different there's somebody from like westchester there's somebody who's from downtown they're all dressed differently they're very diverse cultures and it's like he's engulfed with all all of this incredible these these human beings that are enjoying each other and making yes. contact and it's like i want that and then when this this woman bursts open the door and she's standing there in this light in this yellow dress and then system the bar it's like okay i want me a piece of that <laughs> and There's my contact at, right and and what stro says is that she felt when she was at this swing club she said that woman is going to change someone's life tonight is what Ooh. she was thinking 
And that's how that story was born. And I'm going to make this into a, a musical. And she does change the guy's life. And then he finds out. I'm not going to spoiler alert. Totally but, fine. You can spoil it. Well, Go for it. during this whole scene when he's trying to hurt himself and hang himself and take pills and before he goes to the swing club, he's making all this noise up above. And the girl below is saying, who lives in the apartment down below says, you know, excuse me, sir, stop making so much noise. I'm trying to sleep. I have to get up for work. And then he finds out at the end that this girl who comes up in her pajamas and her robe, oh my gosh, it's the same girl, but she's just like a regular girl. It's like she was right there. I just didn't open myself up, but he needed somebody in the yellow dress. He needed somebody that flashy and spectacular to go like, wow. To wake you up. But wow can be in sometimes the simplest things and we don't notice it. We don't realize it. Hmm. And I, that was a a really fabulous piece because of that. It's like, oh my gosh. It's like Dorothy saying, oh, I had it with me the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, just to add those little things because he. No, please. That's wonderful. He was trying, he was trying to do the deed. In fact, during rehearsals, Boyd Gaines was doing, during the technical rehearsals, he was in the, in the noose. And something happened where he was stuck and it was literally oh. kind of like asphyxiating him a little bit. Oh, no. And he came down, but it took a while for him to be revived. He wasn't like gone, but it was like it really had gotten his 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 um, under his throat there because oh it was gosh. a real noose he was putting around his neck. It was uh, it was pretty scary. There were some really scary moments in the whole evening and yet so many funny. It was it was a real banquet the whole evening of feelings and and crying and joy and all, all of it. <laughs> I think that's why it won the Tony. It was just one of those spectacular evenings where like, oh my gosh, I want to bring everybody to see this. I want to see this again. Yeah. So it does win the Tony. Some of the other musicals nominated that year were James Joyce's The Dead, The Wild Party, the Michael John LaCusa Wild Party, and uh Swing, which yeah. <laughs> interesting that there was another show about that had included yeah. swing dancing that year. But Contact was the one that won. And I I love that you said that. I love that you said that it was a buffet, not an Italian one, but a buffet buffet of humanity, of what we experience as humans trying to make contact or not. And And it leaves the audience going, okay, what I just experienced was just got me in the gut, but I feel wonderful and I want to dance. I want to go onto the street and dance. That's so so it had everything. I remember a dance partner telling me once that she felt like she really got to know me once she danced with me. <laughs> and and I think that that, is, that may be something that we forget about, but dance is really an opportunity to connect with somebody in a way that isn't necessarily sexual, but reveals much of the same information that we get from as Irving wrote, the best things happen while you're dancing. Actually, <laughs> uh, can I backtrack to Steel Pier? Please, please. Which, one of the things I've mentioned many, many times about that show and at, when t- just talking about my experience with it, the thing that was so spectacular about that show as an actor for me was being in someone's arms all night. Because not only was it 
the feeling of warmth and tactile and all that, but it also was you were so responsible for the other person. Mm. And yes, when you're touching someone else too, and you're not always going forward, you're going backwards a lot of times, there's a trust involved. And you're actually looking at somebody in their face. You're not like in the car driving and talking to somebody. You're not on the phone. You're not. And this was before also, that was before, you know, FaceTime and smartphones and stuff. So there was that connection that we all had to make. And a lot of the people in that show were not really dancer dancers, but they had to learn to dance to do that show because everybody had to dance because there were dances at that time, that, that era that everybody knew because that's what people did when they went out on a date or they went out to, to meet somebody. They didn't have like TV and you know, all that kind of stuff. They, they yeah. went out dancing. That's how you courted somebody and that's how you got close and got to touch them and all that kind of stuff and put your <laughs> arms around them. But because of that, you, you're absolutely right. You get to really know people not only what they literally, what they feel like, what they smell like and all that, but it's, are they going to take care of me? Are they going to not let me fall? Do I care about this person enough that I'm going to be the same? And it's your job. So yes, you better. <laughs> but when you have that much of a responsibility of someone, especially when you're doing Susan Stroman choreography, which can be dangerous if you don't duck or dip or get out of the way at the right time or jump in the air, there's something else coming underneath your feet and it's going to tangle you or it's going to trip you. And also you're playing characters that are in a competition in a dance marathon. So you want to look good too. It's every, and you're singing at the same time. It's like, it was some experience as a human being and as a performer and an actor and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, to add something to what you were saying, I felt that so strongly getting to know someone by dancing with them as your partner said that she did yeah. with you. Well, and, and I think that that is something beautiful about theater because you, it's undeniable. You have these people in front of you. There's something tactile. There's something unlike anything else when you get to see dance like this. And, and I love that that contact was able to spotlight it, but also to shed light on how important dancers are to musical theater, that they are good enough to be musical theater all by themselves mm -hmm. and that what that kind of contact between people looks like is actually also incredibly emotional and important to us as healthy, happy human beings. Mm -hmm. Now, just to, just to wrap up contact certainly wasn't the end of your collaboration with with Stro. Mm -mm. you've continued to work together even with uh prince of broadway bolts over broadway yeah another one coming up too do you are you able to talk about it we're gonna do a workshop with uh adrian warren oh and uh she and uh Stro and tommy thompson have written it and it's gonna be candor nab and uh so we'll see what happens i won't talk too much about it because i'm not sure what's happening but they're hoping to you know who knows it just, wow. We have to do it virtually, which is tough, but I, I'm yeah. going to be putting a couple of songs down uh, as a template for, uh, so when, so once we do the workshop, that's the way we will be performing it. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, I just keep on keeping on. Yeah. Pleased to be invited to be, participate. Well, you are fantastic and there's no end to your uh, abilities so and you keep surprising us that's what i love i yeah. love that you keep surprising us with i i didn't know that you would do a mrs lovett and you do a fabulous mrs lovett 
Thank you. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast for more great content. And while you're at it, go check out our T public store where we have designs based on episodes past and present. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you again, Miss KZ and uh, everybody out there. What was your what was your bow for contact? Yeah, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance. Yes, that's right. Everybody go have a moon dance. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I hear that song now, I'm like, oh, great memories. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.